This is Omo. 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 Is this Yoko Omo? This is Omo. This is Omo. Welcome to our episode, Homo Sapiens, on chemical safety. What kind of crazy stuff do we use? Will it give us cancer? Yes. Our spouse's cancer. Hopefully not. <laughs> Will it turn our entire shop into one big ball of cancer? Maybe. We hope. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we are on fire this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm worried about fire because of chemicals. And... Everything is so flammable. Everything I researched just is going to explode at any moment. Yeah. I mean, besides what you deal with on your body, explosion and chemical safety of how you store it is very important. You guys ever seen a fire from rags getting thrown out? It happened when I was at the violin making school. I heard about that. Totally normal for rags to just burst into flame. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, Jerry, you I think you mentioned when we were talking about all this, how important it is to just know what kind of chemicals are in your shop. So if uh, the firemen do have to show up, you can tell them what is in there. Yeah. Uh, For instance, in my shop, I have all of my solvents stored in a flammables cabinet. And I have a list of all those chemicals that I keep in the house. And I should mention that my wife made me do this. Good. And uh, I have a list that I can hand them because not everything can you put out with water. And likewise, it's also important to not necessarily store flammables like solvents with oxidizers, things like nitric acid and hydrogen peroxide and various nitrites and nitrates. All that fun stuff. I mine are all together. Got to keep them separated, dude. Well, guys, we are bringing you this episode because we knew that when we did an episode on body ruin, it didn't really go far enough. I mean, we talked about the way that we wear our muscles out and where we wear our backs out, but not what we expose ourselves to as far as um, the more complicated stuff, the chemicals. So we're here today uh, to uh, look at some of the wild products we use for cleaning and restoration and touch up and um how to protect yourself you guys want to want to hear my chemical song yes of course the chemicals between us we use to paint and clean stuff we use them every day that's terrible i love it they burn our dna wow there's a there's a line where I said the chemicals between us might even rot your and then I was going to say a different word than what it rhymes with mm-hmm. and uh, but I just wrote all that out. Okay. Wow that that had pre pre thought involved. I'm impressed. It was <laughs> in the first degree. We do need to list a disclaimer. We are not experts in chemical exposure. Whatever you are coming into contact with, do your own research. Do your part to keep yourself and your employees safe. And if you are a shop owner and you don't necessarily take this stuff all that seriously, it's okay. But if your employees do, don't put them down for doing so, please. I've experienced right. that and it's not great. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, that's that's good. So we are going to go to an interview with somebody who is who has a exposure story. Not that kind of exposure. <laughs> 
And uh, then we'll be back to tell you some practical things that you can do. Hi, Homo Sapiens. Uh, just wanted to let you know that today we're being brought to you by an app called Encoda. That's spelled N-K-O-D-A. Encoda is a sheet music subscription service. So it's like a streaming service? If you've got an iPad or a smartphone and you don't want to be carrying around this random piece of music and this random piece of music, it's all there. They've got millions of pages, thousands of titles, hundreds of publishers. It's all right there ready for you. That's really pretty amazing. Uh, they'll, they'll give you a free trial. I'm going to sign up for that. Um, that's N-K-O-D-A. Uh, this is the, the future for musicians, you know, for, for people that are, are working for a living with instruments. Um, everything you want to find is right at your fingertips. And this app is a really great example of that. Now, what I like about this option as a music shop owner, so I've got lots of music books that I sell to the kids, but I don't have the floor space to have those thousands of titles. It's much easier for me to stock the things I know are going to sell all day long. And then those little pieces of music, they're available in the ether, thanks to Encoda. Yeah, and the, the music shops of old are all closing, you know, so you you order stuff and maybe get a used edition in the mail. But if if you want really nice editions from Boozy and Hawks, Baron Reiter, Chester, Novello, etc., um, this is the way to go. I'm pretty excited about this app. Yes, and uh, they've received praise from Sir Simon Rattle and Ooh. Joyce Dinon. <laughs> Di Donato. Di Donato. <laughs> so uh, try them out. Go to your local um, app provider and <laughs> get yourself a free trial. Uh, app Store, that's what I'm trying to say. Go to an mm -hmm. app store today. Get your free trial. Try out Encoda or visit Encoda.com. That's N-K-O-D-A dot com. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Hi, Chris. How you doing? <laughs> Sorry, I wanted to get in there. I'm good. How are you, Rosie? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have a special guest today, and uh, we have agreed to call him Reginald. Hi, Reginald. <laughs> Hello. How are you? Reggie? Yeah, Reggie's fine. Reggie, okay. Okay. But not Reggie Watts. That's a different person. Yeah, yeah. No. he's amazing. <laughs> so you had to go to the doctor. Because you were having some some issues, yeah, and he referred you to an oncologist. So tell me about the diagnosis he gave you. Yeah, uh, it all started with a primary care physician um, visit because I was seeing uh, blood in my urine and thinking it was probably kidney stones because I'm. Oh jeez. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but I'm about that age as my father was when he had him, so it kind of wouldn't surprise me. Uh, so we did that, and then did an ultrasound, which then showed something in my bladder, and so that's when I saw. Uh, urologist mm -hmm. and it's a urologic oncologist specifically and then from there we did a couple things like a ct scan and mri and then i had a biopsy style surgery to remove it and it was just as fun as you could think something like that would be yeah getting into your body yeah <laughs> wow. and they removed uh the little lump and then that's when we found out that it was uh in fact a malignant cancer as opposed to a benign lump that was down there which was the original and honestly most uh statistically possible <laughs> yeah the most likely so they did a biopsy after they took it out and then were able to pinpoint exactly what was going on yes absolutely um so there was a uh wash uh like a kind of a pathology or i think it's called a cystology wash i think it's a little different than a pathology um 
but that's that's one of those tests they ran beforehand and that result came back the day before my surgery and it kind of it looked positive for something then um and then had the surgery on thursday i uh, got an informal diagnosis uh on the wednesday following and then a formal one over the phone the following friday mm. and so it is a name that i will butcher <laughs> okay let's have it so the final Diagnosis was a bladder tumor excision, an invasive urethral sarconia, high grade with nested features, invading into the lamnia prior, no mm, something, basically fancy words for no muscle. (laughs) Wow. So is this when they started asking you about exposure to different things? Uh, Not quite. It actually was in the very first... um, First, meet the urologist. You have a full-fledged exam, like a full-fledged like physical exam, just kind of focusing more on stuff down there than a regular (laughs) exam would be. Yeah. But it was very casual because he, of course, thought it would have been just a small benign lump that I could have been born with or something. And that was when he was kind of running through the list of things like, do you smoke or have you been a smoker? Um, Are you around any of these other kind of things? And so he started listing off various chemicals. Yeah. So these are the known causes of bladder cancer. Mm Mm-hmm. Smoking and tobacco use mm-hmm. and exposure to chemicals, especially, work, especially working in a job that requires exposure to chemicals, mm-hmm. past radiation exposure, chronic irritation of the lining of the bladder, and parasitic infections, especially in people who are from or have traveled to certain areas outside the United States. Uh, so you were having trouble fitting any of those except for one. Yes. And that's kind of the, almost like the process of elimination sort of thing, because although um, I've never really been a smoker uh, and I've never really traveled outside of the United States to a place where I'd have parasitic invasions and I've never had radiation before. And so. But what do you do for a living, Reggie? (laughs) Or what did you do? (laughs) What did I do? Uh, So I was a violin repair and restoration uh, at a shop in my, the city I currently live in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was mo- mostly focused on repairs and restorations of instruments. And a lot of exposure to chemicals there. Yeah. And that was the other thing going through the list with the urologic oncologist beforehand. So he like listed off various chemicals. And one of them that stuck out to me simply because it was at the end was aniline dye. Mm-hmm. And he talked about various jobs that I've had in the past, which prior to this, I only ever worked uh, outside at a summer camp year round, kind of doing, uh, if you think of it like state state uh park ranger kind of stuff oh fun yeah and like program director stuff. so i was out in the woods in a fairly i would like to say healthy environment so it's not like this was like speculative a long shot that that you researched like it was right there on the table at the beginning of this process of- it was in the root of much like uh when rosie you read through the list of stuff it was definitely like on that list um, mm-hmm. and then he said yeah he said aniline die and i was like oh and i kind of made that like noise chris can you take a moment to explain what aniline dyes are used for in our field? Yeah, shit. I, I use aniline dyes all the time. I mean, this is terrifying. Uh, uh, they're used for retouch of varnish, for tinting replacement wood, for obscuring repairs, um, for getting color into new varnish. Um, and you dissolve them in alcohol. You can also dissolve them in white spirits, kerosene, naphtha. But when they're dissolved in, and they often come in powder form. I've seen them in, in cake form. And then you add alcohol. And at the moment that you do that, it releases 
a vapor, a gas, which you can smell, which I've smelled uh, repeatedly, which then if you inhale it um, is very hard on our urinary tract and bladder, apparently. Yeah. Now, I do need to uh, just caution everybody, if you're freaking out right now listening to this, <laughs> um, uh, when Red and I talked previously, you said that the um, the stuff that you're using was a particularly old batch that had been at the shop for a long time. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. It is definitely, I would say, within the 30-year law or older, if not 40. I did find that some sources say the link between bladder cancer and these types of occupations was discovered in the 1950s and 60s. Mm -hmm. Since then, regulations relating to exposure to these cancer-causing chemicals have been made much more rigorous, Mm -hmm. and many of the chemicals listed above have been banned. I do want to say that we probably have less exposure to this now, but that doesn't mean that it is not present. It's likely that the processes used to manufacture them are, are cleaner if, if you yeah. know, what was being used. But I, I use old varnish supplies all the time. They're, it, it's part of the romance of what we do is that you, you have a little actual Indian yellow or aniline dyes from your master's master, you know, like, oh, this is from the 1930s. I'm going to touch up this uh, Eastman. <laughs> I believe you also said that this was not genetic. It didn't run in your family. Yes. Uh, so that was one of the other things they pointed out that um, although some bladder cancers, to my understanding, can be genetic, and obviously there's a lot of other cancers that are, mm-hmm. um, this one, because of its very specific, not only high grade um, and muscle invasive, so it has the potential to be incredibly, uh, well, lethal is not the funnest word to use, but that's kind of what we can lean on. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, man. Although it is that, uh, that generally would be more of a sign of some sort of exposure or some sort of chemical happening, Um, especially like if I had been a smoker since I was like 15 or something and then doing this work and also like, I don't know, fixing my car over the weekend and inhaling a bunch of exhaust, it would be a given almost. Um, Oh, wow. And so that's really like it's one of those things that um, with the high grade nature plus my variant is a nested histology nested histological variant mm-hmm. <laughs> as I stumble over those words um, <laughs> which as best it means uh, is that this specific uh, grade of cancer doesn't uh, play by the rules even though we know that cancer is a disease that doesn't play by the rules uh, this one specifically um, has the tendency to show up wherever it feels like as a little nest form um, which is yeah <laughs> which is why I had um which is why I had two follow-up surgeries uh, for biopsies to spot check every organ that's down in your waist area Good. or like it would have been close. Enough. Yeah. Um, you should, everyone should squirm when they think about that. Um, <laughs> you are how old? I am 30. And how long were you at a workbench? Uh, in the school, three years and then two and a half by the t- or t- two years. Yeah. So really not long. Not long. Um, wow. The thing is, is that in my family, there's not really a history of uh, cancer, especially in my genetic family outside in the like the periphery, the married into family, yeah, yes, yeah. but not not genetically. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's why it's even more kind of a, a surprise, if anything. Well, in five ish years, five years and change. I mean, it doesn't seem that long. It, it truly does not. Yeah. I mean, during during restoration instruction, everybody always says, oh, you only use so little, you know, with xylene, with other other dangerous chemicals like. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. It's terrifying. 
your doctor mentioned something to you regarding that. Yeah. And that one actually came from my uh, oncologist when I first met them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really need to see the oncologist too much. Um, in his words, if I am seeing him a lot, then we're in big trouble. Um, Cause right now everything has been uh, as of now uh, localized and contained and all that stuff and gotten rid of. Was that you knocking on wood just now? <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah. I just yes. knocked on wood. <laughs> <them up. laughs> I'll knock for you too, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was my, uh, yeah, that's funny. I'm glad that that was picked up. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that was one of the things that when he sat down and was running through the list of questions uh, and he asked me about the use and how it's used. Um, mm-hmm. Cause those of course were notes that my previous uh, oncologist or urologist had listed, you know, exposure to these dyes. Um, and he asked if there was any smell. And I said, well, no, cause it's just like a powder form, like Chris was saying. Um, and that you put just a, you either mix the alcohol or the clear spirits or anything like that into it. Uh, and he's like, well, is there any kept, he asked the question again, is there any smell to it? And I was like, no, it's just the smell of like alcohol when you, you know, if you spray your polishing rag, which I had a little spray bottle for my polishing rag, um, or spray it into the dish or the tile, whatever you're mixing it on. And he's, you know, did it again. Are you smelling anything? I said, well, yeah, just the alcohol smell. I said, well, if you're smelling something, then it's clearly not staying right where it is. Oh, so you were, you were using alcohol as an aerosol too. So it was really, whatever it was picking up, the, the particles were really spread out and they were in the air. Yeah, that is my, uh, that's my kind of the part where I start thinking the most about it is simply we had like a little spray bottle to get a nice, even thin and not too heavy coat of out. Cause like the last thing you want to do is have a polish rack soaked in alcohol when you try to French polish something. So like, <laughs> uh, like getting that nice little, very faint spray on there and then wiping it down. And that would have been not only onto the, uh, polishing rag, but like just a little spritz onto the tile or like kind of like a drop. Mm-hmm. Um, but because like the alcohol we use is so refined, it has that kind of, you could just smell it like from a mile away. <laughs> oh yeah. man, I use denatured most of the time. I, uh, I, I really should change my ways. It's just availability. Um, uh. I'm going to, I'm going to ship you some of that serious grain alcohol, Chris. I'm just going to drink it. That's what we, uh, we don't use denatured. We actually, um, we would end up using kind of really intense Polish vodka because Chicago. And- yeah. <laughs> Because it's cheaper than Everclear. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cheaper than Everclear, and it was uh, rarely available. I couldn't read anything on the label, but it was definitely just as clear alcohol as you could get. <laughs> that was the shock, I think, hearing hearing him just kind of repeat that question a couple of times, saying, did you really smell anything? And I said, oh, crap. Actually, <laughs> you're getting at something here that I wasn't paying attention to. <laughs> yeah. And I would, I would like to point out that I was in fact wearing gloves because that's something they talked to us about uh, in school, like having some latex gloves on to do any kind of stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. kind of a fastidious uh, uh, person terrified of, <laughs> ironically terrified of chemicals and stuff. So I would always wear gloves anyway when I'm like cleaning at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even with like Windex or Simple Green. Yeah. I would still put on the latex gloves. So I was trying to do that along with, um, you know, very delicate application. Although it was terrible at varnish, but whatever. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you have had a hard year of immunotherapy. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your recovery or, you know, hopeful long-term recovery? Yeah, I will actually, uh, if you, <laughs> it depends on how queasy people are listening. <laughs> um, yeah, I will. Give us the rough stuff. Oh, the rough stuff. Yeah. So like uh, starting with the surgery, uh, the original one, uh, on all three of them have been, 
transurethral, which means I was not cut open, but they went up the wrong direction. Ah! <laughs> and that's the Reggie, no. Yeah. Uh, and so for like, uh, my cystoscope, which is the camera going up there, uh, plus all of the surgeries, that's the direction they've been going, uh, which is a terrifying sound and Chris's response was correct. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of how everything's been done now. I've not been cut open at all. Uh, it is terrifying, but it also provides a fairly quick recovery time compared to some other, if I was actually cut open and had to be stitched back together. Um, so like after the surgery, like the first one was by far the worst because, you know, they're pulling something walnut sized out of there. Oh, yeah. Walnut, almond, cashewy kind of size out of there. Um, but yeah, for reference, like, uh, cause we all understand millimeters. Um, it was like a rough, like globular two and a half centimeter. Holy cow. Yeah. At that point it was, um, that fits in your urethra. <laughs> it, at one point it came out that way. Woo! I believe they probably cut it up cause they use this fancy, like, um, uh, lasso kind of thing uh-huh. that gets like uh of course for the big surgery they have to dilate everything but then the rest of them it was just a pretty easy channel <laughs> if you could call it yeah. that sure um but yeah that's kind of that's how they would remove it uh everything else was really easy scrapes and i should say that when i had my second surgery which was a um deeper wider cut of the bladder wall uh that was 100 negative as well um because that's that's the big concern is that this little uh, this, as I call it, little shithead or little fucker that's sitting there. <laughs> uh, the problem is that like, it could go grow fingers and grow down kind of like a root system. Like if you think of uh, bulbs or anything like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that was the second surgery to make sure that there was nothing else there because if it was further into my bladder wall, they would have suggested to fully re- and that in fact, this is the main suggestion to begin with was to fully remove the bladder and create a new one. Um, which is cool, crazy science stuff. Like it starts to get into really cool medical science, which I think is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, although terrifying, but kind of cool. Um, so with that second surgery and the third one, it was just a lot of pinpricks and like lasso things. Like if you think of like, I mentally vision a lightsaber lasso that cauterizes and pulls up some tissue. <laughs> so they can test it. Yeah. Yeah. So they can test it and then it spins about, um, you know, if it's negative, it comes out much faster because they can kind of see that pretty quickly. But the longer it's in there, that means they're trying to watch it actively grow, um, which is weird to think of something out of your body growing once it leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as like, and so the reason why we did all these other biopsies is to make sure that I would be a good candidate for immunotherapy because the only other option would be to remove uh, the bladder, the prostate, and then a few of the like urethrals. I think is the name of the tubes that come out of your kidneys and into your bladder. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> I think you know um, more than us though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for anyone that might be listening and deciding to Google. So then you, you did go into immunotherapy after these? Yeah. After all of that stuff, like knowing that I didn't have to do the radical option and that I still have that if something goes worse, if it shows up again, I can still do the radical option. So I ended up going into immunotherapy Um which I did the first round of it, which was six doses uh, once a week for six weeks. So it was uh, beginning of October through the middle of November. Uh, and the immunotherapy drug, um, although it's been proven to work really well in a lot of other bladder cancers, um, it's a 50-50 kind of chance with me. Uh, not so much that we don't know if it works. It's that um, there's not enough literature and publications on it. Um, gotcha. Simply because I do have such a rare uh, diagnosis. We just don't have the, the literature to say, yes, for certain this works, or yes, this kind of works kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it is known as the benchmark standard for the, the immunotherapy treatments for bladder cancers that are early stage um, because this drug is essentially, well, it's immunotherapy. So instead of uh, where chemo kind of kills off every cell and then hopes the good ones come back, uh, immunotherapy is loosely just a way to turn the blood cell or like turn the white blood cells that fight infections and viruses to fight the bad cells, which is what cancer is. Um, and so this drug is uh, BCG immunotherapy or BCG something. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, but BCG is a uh, shortened abbreviation of. Uh, wait, 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 Chris, what does BCG stand for? Go. Biochronic gastroenteritis. Is that right? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> uh, I only know it as BCG, and I think I was told once the full name of the drug. But then again, I've heard so many large words that have bigger syllables than my brain can do. <laughs> it's just opium. Yeah, it's just opium. <laughs> Straight opium. I just, a literal poppy field down there now. Um, no, actually, it's, uh, it is a relative of... Uh, it's a relative of tuberculosis and that's how, oh, wow. yeah, I know this is the real crazy and insane part that my roommate got to get used to. Who's also a, a violin person. <laughs> uh, so essentially they put a catheter up in there. Um, so uh, yeah, one other thing that's fun, um, but they put this drug in, they insert literally a, the neighbor or brother or close family member of tuberculosis. They insert the TB into you. It sits for two hours and then you pee it out. And then for eight hours after you pee, you then get, um, you have to, I call it napalming or I bleach the, <laughs> uh, I bleach the bathroom basically. So I pee and then I have to pour two cups of bleach in the toilet and then I let it sit for 30 minutes and then I come back, spray it on the toilet with a bleach solution and wipe it down. Cause you don't want it getting out into, exactly. you don't want your roommate exposed to it. Yeah. I don't want my roommate. I don't want me. I don't want anyone near it to get exposed. And I have to do that for eight hours. Whoa. So let's say if I have the initial dosage at 1230, I would then pee at about 230. And then from 230 until eight hours later is like what, 1230 or 1030. 1030. 1030. Yeah. yeah. Uh, every time I pee, I would then have to do this bleach thing. So I've, I'm probably a shareholder in Clorox at this point. Um, Whoa. Because you go through a lot of bleach. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that being said, I never really had any of the tuberculosis problems because if I did, then I would you know, have to stop treatment and then be treated for tuberculosis. <laughs> was that an actual risk? That is an actual risk that they tell you about. That's why you have to be so uh, careful with the, the voiding of your bladder to be technical. Holy cow. Medical science is nuts. It's nuts. But the, the cool thing is that like it does act kind of like we found out that, um, what is it? Smallpox or not smallpox, but um, whatever the the chicken or the smallpox vaccine kind of we found out another virus prevented that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same sort of thing. It's dueling viruses, huh? Yeah, it's dueling viruses, and so we've they've studied and known noticed that in most bladder cancers, it will uh, effectively kill off the cells that have grown back. Um, and I do have to keep doing maintenance rounds, which I just finished in January, uh, a, a half round. Um, so that's kind of, it's kind of cool because like it's it's literally teaching my body to fight itself. Um, the side effects, uh, I've been very lucky. They have, uh, some of them have been really terrible, but it's not uh, outside the realm of what I should expect. Good. And actually uh, mine, since I'm younger, they tend to go away within the 24 hours. Um, and most of the time it's just like, you know, it, it burns like crazy when you have to pee and then you just go 
really bleh the next day because your immune system's in overdrive. Yeah. So you um, you started doing your treatments at what time? What point of year? Uh, October 3rd, I think. Of 2019? Yes, yeah, so of 2019. I think it was October, very but, recent. Yeah, very recent. Very first. Um, it was kind of like once we got the good news from the uh, third biopsy to make sure I was a good candidate. Um, he pretty much was like, he gave me the good news and he's like, all right, next week you're starting. Um, because what they want to do is truly get it before it could ever have the chance. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I did six immediately. I finished the last one on November 14th, I think was a Thursday. Um, and then December 13th on Friday, the 13th, December, um, I had the next cystoscope. Uh, so they put the camera up there and that looked all clean. So it would just look like a regular, healthy bladder. Yay. Yeah. So that's great. Good. Okay. So your prognosis is, is clear. You're yeah. For now things are uh, looking all right. Oh, that's great. Reggie. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. I still do the maintenance one, which I just did the the round of three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now between now and March 13th, which is the next one um, that Friday, I do another cystoscope where they check. Um, so right now I haven't had anything shoved up there for a couple of weeks. And it's glorious. Uh <laughs> You don't miss it? <laughs> no, I really don't. Although I will say you do really get to know the nurse that's doing it. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, you, you, I have really good friends with my nurse from it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's just, it's such a funny, uh, truly funny experience. And I've had, uh, I, I'm, well, I'm not a uh, female in order to identify as one. And I uh, will never bear children, but I've been told that I'm <laughs> as close as most men would ever get to uh, understanding understanding the level of uh scrutiny of looking at something that's very private <laughs> yeah. sure um, yeah yeah not to, you, you get over all that yeah, not uh-huh. to belittle or equate the two at any at any stage <laughs> but it's a very uh you said that all very carefully i'm proud of you 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 got that out without a hitch He's really thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I had plenty of uh, uh, other females that have mentioned that before, and most of them were women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of them had been mothers at some point, uh, and so they were very much like, "Wow, that sounds like you know when you go get a child, uh, you yeah. go get a child when you go have a child." Uh, <laughs> so, what is what does this do to your ability or desire to work with instruments? Um, it has, uh, it kind of put a nail in a coffin that I wasn't necessarily building, but kind of leaned that way. Um, yeah. I did enjoy the work. I was never, I think I talked to Rosie earlier, uh, that I never really liked making instruments. Um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of crappy violins in the world and I don't need to be one that adds to that pile. Um, <laughs> uh, but like, I mean, you of course have to do produce a large amount of work, just really truly understand the craft. Um, and it's just something that I never really felt super called to, but I really did enjoy seeing a thing that was broken that might've had a history to it or had some sort of uh, sentimental value, even if it wasn't a great instrument. Uh, there was something very satisfying about pulling a thing apart and truly getting to know it from the inside out and then making it sound hopefully decent or at least stay together uh, with my, like to my, to the best of my skill set at the time. It's really satisfying. But you feel like for the foreseeable future, I mean, you're you're done. You're gonna focus on other things. Yeah, I am. I am done. I originally, my uh, in my gut and emotions, I was gonna get rid of everything and probably light all of my instruments on fire. Um, I have not done that. <laughs> Good. Although I did think about it when I had to move all of them um, a few weeks ago. <laughs> 
if you really feel that way, uh, there are, you know, kids in every town that would kill for a violin that you're not proud of. So absolutely. I have earned some stuff. I, I won't begrudge you that, but just remember that, man. Yeah. And I've absolutely thought about that because I am from a fairly small town and I've thought, you know what, these would actually be uh, perfect compared to the, some of the really, really poorly made school instruments they were playing on. I'm really glad that you're as healthy as you can be now, man. This is, it's harrowing. And I, I'm grateful that you reached out and were willing to talk to us about it. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I, I wish you the best of health. I, I hope this all goes very, very smoothly and, and you don't have a lick of anything, uh, anything even remotely curious to the doctors. I second. <laughs> uh, I third that. I, uh, yeah, I will definitely probably breathe a much larger sigh of relief in March once they uh, do all of my scans and scope, because I'll do all that stuff then. So Good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Randy. <laughs> yeah, thank you for like, taking the time and actually taking it a little bit seriously. Uh, that's really uh, important. <laughs> It was important. Yeah. We appreciate you, man. Coming up, we're going to have a list of some of the most common chemicals we expose ourselves to, what they can do to our bodies, and some common sense ways to protect ourselves. And Chris will make a little jingle for every chemical. So stay tuned. Learn some more secrets about chemicals and shop safety during intermediate to advanced bow repair and rehabilitation with prominent bow maker and restorer David Orlin, April 5th through 10th at Learning Trade Secrets. Also coming up is Baroque Setup with recognized Baroque specialist, Sarah Peck. We recognize you, Sarah. That's April 12th to 17th. If you want to learn more, which chemicals make a great looking varnish, don't pass up an opportunity to learn what makes classical Italian varnish so mysterious. With acclaimed maker, Chris Germain, April 26th through May 1st. For more information on instructors and to apply for a workshop, visit www.learningtradesecrets.com. Welcome back to Elmo, guys. Jerry, you're going to tell us what these chemicals we talk about, what they're used for. Oh, okay. I will go into some of the effects that they can have on your body. And these are from the safety data sheets. Used to be known as material safety data sheets, MSDS. And you can print these out by going to chemicalsafety.com. Then following that, Jerry's got some safer alternatives, if any, using these products. And uh, finally, Chris, you're going to help us remember how to stay safe with a helpful jingle. I'm I'm here for that. Yay! (laughs) I am here for that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what do we got first? We have aniline dyes. Ooh. Well, here's the rub with aniline dyes is uh, aniline dyes would be used for retouching or coloring spirit varnish. However, what's sold today, maybe even labeled as aniline dyes, might not necessarily be aniline dyes. Mm -hmm. However, that doesn't mean that there's not aniline dyes kicking around a shop because violin makers, luthiers, we're hoarders. I myself have a lifetime supply of not one, but two different types of chalk and a whole bunch of other stuff. A lifetime supply? A lifetime supply, yes. (laughs) And I have colleagues that I know have retouching materials that are from 30, 40, maybe even 50 years ago that they're using. Yeah. So if you've got an unlabeled little jar that says dye in it and has been kicking around since the 70s, maybe you should rethink using that because it might actually be an old school baddie aniline dye. 
Mm-hmm. That's not to say that the modern alternatives, nowadays we have things like metal complex dyes and other things are 100% safe, but they're, they're a whole lot safer than what the, the old school aniline dyes were. So if you do have an unlabeled bottle of dye stuff that you're using, maybe it's time to investigate some more modern dyes. Yes. And pay attention to what few warnings they do have on them. A lot of them will say, avoid skin contact, do not breathe. That's about the extent of it, which is pretty sad. When you you order something from a violent supply house, it arrives in this little bag, and there's not a whole lot of documentation with it. Yeah, like we were chatting about that. Why don't they label them like they do cigarettes, you know? Like, be a little clearer about just how dangerous things are. There kind of is a laissez-faire attitude about this sort of stuff. How many times have you heard people use the phrase, it hasn't killed me yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does the word aniline actually mean? Oh, okay. Well, so it is actually, it's technically the way a group of atoms are arranged. So it has a really broad meaning that's not just dyes, if we're saying the word aniline. So when you're talking about it, there's there's a lot of different uses out there. It's actually, it's used in dyes. It's used in pharmaceuticals, particularly chemotherapy. It's even used in rocket fuel. So uh, I can't say that when, when we're talking about aniline dyes, I can't say, well, it's there's one particular color that's really bad and one that's not. Like it's yeah. kind of a group of them. And we use that term as a blanket term. Um, but... That being said, when we're talking about dyes, if you are mixing this, particularly if you're mixing with any kind of alcohol, it turns into a vapor. It is something that you can breathe in. It is toxic if it is inhaled. Mm-hmm. So uh, try not to do that. And uh, as as we mentioned like uh, earlier in our interview, we had a guy that has been battling bladder cancer. So um, there's a history of connection there. Jeez, yeah. Jerry. Yes. What's a safer alternative? Well, I think I, I kind of went over that a little bit. Uh, the modern dyes are safer. Yeah. Aside from that, if you absolutely want to get away from dyes in, in general for for a long time, there are people that do amazing retouching with just pigments, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that you can investigate. Now, not all those pigments pigments are necessarily safe either. And so you really have to do your research. Kramer does a wonderful job of supplying a lot of MSDS sheets with their stuff when you go online. And so uh, hats off to them for being able to research through their website of what's safe and what's not safe. But I think in general, just mitigating your contact with your bare hands. And if you're breathing in tons of vapor or you're using uh, an airbrush, for example, the moment you start to aerosolize things, stuff gets nasty pretty quickly. You're up, Chris. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, okay, so it starts. Aniline. There is something in my bladder. Use these guys in a plain old manner. Biopsy says it's tumorous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta stick stuff up your urethra and pull the tumor out that way. I swear I'm not messing with you. Don't use um. That's kind of a run on at the end there, but I got, you know, I got the intro. <laughs> Your parents were very brave people. <laughs> they did this to me. Mm, I'm sure. What's up next, Rosie? Yeah, 
got number two. We got denatured alcohol. Jerry, what do people use it for? Ah, well, it's used for various cleaning. It's used for thinning out spirit varnish. It's used for retouching. I clean my desk with it. Oh, lovely. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. I actually bought some recently and the can said window cleaner. I'm like, oh, they should not be. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure it gets very clean. (laughs) Uh, So this is another vapor. Uh, It can be absorbed through the skin. Uh Uh, So wear gloves if you're exposing yourself to it. If you mix anything with it, that can become a vapor. So anything else that is dangerous, now you can breathe it into your lungs. Mm -hmm. Contact with denatured alcohol can cause nausea, dizziness, inebriation, narcosis, and respiratory paralysis. That's bad. Yeah. Make sure that you're in a well-ventilated area if you're using this. Uh, so yeah, Jerry, what's it say for alternative? Well, again, not every denatured alcohol is created equally. Uh, the stuff that's really, really bad for you is stuff that's denatured with, with methanol. Methylated spirits. Methylated spirits. And that can cause, uh, if you use it for a prolonged period of time over, over years, uh, it can add up and you can have damage to the optic nerve. You can have other damages, other damage to the, the central nervous system. And so really, when you start to lump in every bit of denatured alcohol, not all of them are created equally. There are some out there that are safer. Um, it depends on what it's denatured with. If you get something that's denatured with isopropanol, otherwise known as rubbing alcohol, uh, it becomes a little bit safer. If you want to go 100% as safe as you can with with just pure ethanol, uh, if you live in a state where you can buy 190 proof alcohol at a liquor store, that's the probably the most safe alternative you can get. Yeah. Otherwise, a lot of states you can apply for a permit. You know, they take perfectly good alcohol and denature it by adding this other stuff so that it'll hurt people if they drink it yes. because they tax alcohol. Yes. Yes. Wow. The right to brew alcohol and sell it um, has been, you know, one of the oldest things human beings and governments have fought over, but it, it all seems kind of crazy to me. Yeah. It, it is. It is. And I, I realize that the the stuff that you have to apply for a permit for and then buy at a state approved store is more expensive. And I realize that buying at a liquor store is more expensive to buy a, a handle of, of Everclear than it is to go to the hardware store and buy a, a gallon jug of, of denatured alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's worth it. If you look at the amount of alcohol that you use within a year, it's a relatively small expense compared to your health. Yeah. There's way more expensive things than I that I stock right. in my shop than a bottle of Everclear. Right. Right. Yeah. And from a, a personal use standpoint, I've used a lot of different denatured alcohols and I find that using 190 proof Everclear and or a lab grade ethanol uh, does a much better job in retouching. Yeah, it's a little bit greasy. It like holds the, the yeah. tension somehow. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 better. It works better. It really does. Yeah. Go for it. Pony up the extra cash. It's worth it. Yeah. Chris, what do you got to say about this? Yeah. So one thing I learned while I was in violin making school, which apparently was true because a doctor told us, is that uh, if you're using denatured alcohol and you drink alcoholic beverages afterwards, 
then some of the harmful stuff bonds to that and is processed normally, which would normally stay in your body and hurt you. So the jingle is, if you use methylated spirits, drink a beer. If you use methylated spirits, drink a beer. You know, remember. And it's a good excuse, too. Like, why are you drinking in the workshop right now? Like, oh, I had to varnish some stuff and I I don't want to die. For your own health and safety. Yeah. Great. Wow. (laughs) All right. Mental spirits. Jerry, what do people do for? Well, I know I use it for various cleaning purposes. Okay. Yeah, it's another cleaning agent. And uh, again, not all mineral spirits are created equal. Some are really, really nasty for you and others are not. And it has a lot to do with the aromatic hydrocarbons. So uh, essentially, from my research, the stinkier the stuff, the worse it is for you. Okay. So for years, my preferred brand of, of mineral spirits has been Gamsol, made by Gamlin. Yeah. And they advertise it as being 100% odorless, and it is. Like, it smells no different than, than water when you put it up to your nose, which has its own safety concerns. I just, I love huffing my mineral spirits to see how clean it is. <laughs> your rule about it, about the stank, about the hydrocarbons, is true for most of these chemicals. Like, if you buy Diamond G turpentine instead of uh, turpentine from Ace Hardware, you're going to be a lot less hurt in the long run. And uh, Gamsol is a great mineral spirit. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they trump up their safety concerns on their website. So, again, with all this stuff, do your own research. Find out if that is indeed a safer alternative for you. G-A-M-S-O-L, Gamsol. Uh, art supply. It's Spanish for leg sun. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this stuff, it can be toxic to your lungs and your nervous system. Repeated or prolonged exposure can target organ damage. So uh, don't be breathing this stuff in either, even if it's odorless. I try to only use it when I have to release um, adhesives from something. Mm -hmm. Like those rib protectors for people wearing a lot of varnish off are often just 3M tape. And the only way that I know of to get that off without re-varnishing the rib afterwards is to gently feed mineral spirits under the edges of the tape and slowly peel it back. And other than that, like, I, I, I don't know why I'm not really scared of denatured alcohol, and I should be, but mineral spirits freak me out. I use mineral spirits a whole lot more than that. When you have really? a, a fine instrument or any instrument that is uh, water sensitive. Mm-hmm which tends to happen a lot more than you'd think. Uh, Cleaning with mineral spirits uh, on its own or mineral spirits with Volpex soap uh, is probably one of the the more gentle things you can use to clean with. So in my shop, it tends to get used a lot. You didn't say a specific safer alternative, but you did say that there is a range of safety depending on it. There is. Uh, I don't think there's a hundred percent safer alternative for it. I mean, there are things that you could you can use. I mean, you can if you want to remove stickiness. There's various, you know, things like Goo Gone, the limonene reagents. That's what a lot of these can. Uh, you can go back to citrus to, yeah. to take care of the things they're good at. Yeah, citrusolve is another one that you could probably use to get off sticky things. 
you just mentioned Gugan. Yeah. Uh, I have had that in my, like on my desk, on my workbench for mm-hmm. 15 years. Mm-hmm. And since we started researching, I've been like reading labels left and right. And this one said, don't get it in contact with your skin. Oh, God. It's always on my skin. You know how long I have been using this on my skin constantly. Just to like, like make your hands smell like oranges. You rub it in like <laughs> lotion. I use it to get like all the, the tapes off the fingerboards yeah. that the kids yeah. leave when yeah. they come in for summer cleaning. So it just, all day long I'm using that stuff. And so that's how I'm going down. Now, again, we talked about doing your own research. A lot of these things are CYA from a legal department. And that's not to say that you shouldn't take it seriously, but if you want to look at the dermal layer, your skin's pretty tough stuff. I do want to look at the dermal layer, Jerry. Exactly. I, I know you do. I know you do. So your skin's pretty hardy. Yeah. However, your lungs aren't. So that's something to, to keep in mind. And repeated, constant exposure adds up over time. You guys want to hear my mineral spirit song? I'm dying to, man. Please. You fill up my senses and give me diarrhea. You lower my blood pressure and you make my limbs numb. You burn my esophagus and give me necrosis. You fill up my senses. I'm finna use you again. Beautiful. Thanks. Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we got another one. We've got acetone. Mm. What do we use it for? Well, I can tell you what I use it for, which might be different than other people. I use it for removing. That's what she's asking, Jerry. (laughs) Just answer the question. Well, again, I'm not the be all end all of what you're going to use acetone for, but I use it for removing uh, retouch. That somebody else has has put on. Oh, really? That I want to. Yeah. I've never used it that way. <clears throat> oh, I mix it with a little bit of castor oil, and I can slow down the effect of it. And it's not as effective as mechanically removing retouch, but it comes in handy. And it keeps you from getting that that top scraped look from people removing stuff. I guess that's nice. Yeah, I mean, everything's got its use, and that's kind of what I use it for. I have some colleagues that use it in place of alcohol in uh, in an airbrush because it evaporates off so fast that they can put a layer of pigment down or a layer of, of, of retouching wow. colorant and it flashes off instantly. I have done that with a hand pump uh, airbrush. So you finish your touch up and you pump it a few times and just, psh, and then you can't wipe it back off. It's awesome. Okay. Do you use it for anything else, Chris? Um, no, just like weird stuff. Like I don't, I don't know. Just like, like you just pick it up and and use it to soak off a little bit of super glue or. Um, yeah, that's the other big thing I use it for is removing cyanoacrylate glues. Oh yeah, okay. Or uh, wood fill is another thing that if you oh it dissolves in it yeah yeah and so if there are things that you can turn acetone into a gel with and if you apply that to wood fill you can slowly get away. Uh, wood fill. So it sounds like we use it for all kinds of different things. Yeah, utility player. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, another uh, 
fun little organ toxicity thing yeah. <laughs> can cause serious eye damage if you put your eye in direct contact with it and uh, can give you drowsiness and dizziness. Lots of fun. Do we have any safer alternatives or are we pretty much stuck with this guy? Uh, well, where you buy it and what its primary intended purpose for makes a big difference. So the stuff you get at the hardware store is is not as good as the stuff you get from the beauty supply shop. Yeah, like na- that's nail polish remover. Well, you can get pure, purer acetone um, that doesn't have any other things, any other solvents added to it at the beauty supply shop. You guys want to hear my, my acetone jingle? Please. I'm dying for it, man. <laughs> this is a hard one to start. Um, I have to think about my motivation. And then it, it goes, uh, shake that acetone and see what symptoms you got. This is terrible. <laughs> shake that acetone. You feel lightheaded and hot. Shake that acetone. Birth defects and what? For only men, you might not make a baby when you nut. Oh, no. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> yeah, it can keep you from having children. So if you're a man, for women, I guess it doesn't do that. I missed that one when I was reading on the the safety data sheets. But, you know, I think if you had heard that, you would never forget. And you would. Well, hopefully people will be embarrassed for me that I sang that song, but it will do some good in the world. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you were just trying to get to Turpentine, our next one. Oh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Jerry, what do we use it for? Well, again, I'm probably not the best person to ask this, so I'm going to bow oh. to the superior knowledge of my wonderful colleague, Christopher Jacoby. Why, thank you, Jerry Lynn. I, uh, turpentine is used as a thinner. It's used to make things brushable, varnish brushable. Uh, it's used as a solvent. Um, I cook it into varnish sometimes, um, but if I get a, a varnish that doesn't have any other solvents, like a, an essential oil or something else, if it's just oil and rosin, then you mm-hmm. can even just dip your brush into turpentine to make it brushable. Uh, it does dissolve in a way which people can find useful or unuseful, depending uh, on what varnish they're using. But um, I've had some nasty experiences with turpentine. I actually gave myself a violent reactivity for a little more than a year. Um, it was 2013 or 2014, and I was making terpenes, which is where you you boil just with like a fish bubbler, you boil turpentine down till it's thick in the sun and then you cook that. And I Mm -hmm. took the lid off the pot and was surprised by something and took a full lung full of the turpentine smoke in. And for almost a year afterwards, if I used turpentine at all, I sweated my, my body just remembered how much damage was done by that lung full. And I, I coughed till I threw up. And I had a hard time getting up afterwards. Um, but I would sweat and get dizzy and have to sit down. Uh, my my vision would blur. Um, and I've spoken to some other uh, violin makers that have had similar things. Um, uh, Pete Goodfellow likened it to the same effects as drinking moonshine with too much wood alcohol. Not uh, that like if the first batch isn't taken out, that it, if he had a beer 
Um, for a few weeks after he'd gotten a really bad exposure to turpentine, his body would consider that the same toxin and would try and get him to push it out by making him sweat and, and almost vomit. Wow. Um, turpentine's scary. Chris, when I was reading up on this, it made me think about when you were visiting the VSA and you had um, like all of the, like you had skin sensitivity, like your eyes at all. Around my eyes, yeah. And I, and I was like, well, I know he said that was from like, a, like some wood sensitivity, but I wondered, it's like, huh, I wonder if he's had some turpentine in, in his history and his body like freaking out. Oh, it freaks out. Yeah. And that's yeah. part of it. I mean, I spoke to a doctor about the, what I have is a, is extreme situational eczema. So basically like if it's the winter and I'm dealing with a lot of dust or chemicals now, my eyes swell up. Uh, mm. which sucks, but I, I have, uh, you know, I've got like some stuff to put on it and stuff. <laughs> and a mask. You guys, you guys want to hear my, uh, there is no alternative for, for turpentine, you know, unless, you know, like white spirits and naphtha do similar things. But yeah. if you're working on instruments or if you're not going through a ton of it, call Diamond G in Georgia um, instead of, like I said, just clear cutting and grinding it and getting all those terrible, terrible chemicals into it. Um, they basically tap the trees and create their turpentine the way they, that you make maple syrup. And, uh, I do not react to it. Um, and I can, I can use it, um, without bad effects and it's expensive, mm-hmm. but, uh, if, if you get, a gallon, then they cut the price down a little bit. And that should last you a few years, even if you're producing a lot of instruments. But um, I even clean my my brushes. Turpentine's the best thing still to clean uh, paint brushes in. I clean my paint brushes in that expensive turpentine and keep it uh, just so I don't, uh, you know, get fake cancer and fall over. So once again, if you're buying just kind of the generic turpentine that's available to the masses, like your or turpentine, that is, it's, it's been processed using a lot of wood pulp. And so if you have any kind of, uh, um, what's environmental allergy, then that is going to be more reactive. So I, I, that's how I'm, that's why I'm guessing how that works. At least I sound professional. So, and, and if I understand right, the kind, the way that you're talking about for the diamond G, it's more of a traditional way of making turpentine. Yeah. Um, It's non-industrial, small scale. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, the stuff's nice. It kind of smells like a a breeze through a pine forest instead of like, like squirrels vomiting through an old engine. (laughs) You guys, you guys want to hear my turpentine song? Of course. It's very straightforward to the point. It goes, Turpentine can make you die. Yes, it is. Turpentine can make you die. Yes, it is. I mean, it's... (laughs) Yeah, that one gotcha. Context, the way the wording is done is really wonderful yeah it's it's uh, they call that a, an earworm because <laughs> you're wondering like it can make you die yes it is why did he say that now i can never stop singing that ever ever 
It's more like the worm at the bottom of a bottle of tequila. (laughs) Xylene, Jerry, what do people use it for? Oh, well, the predominantly thing, the, the thing it's most commonly used for is cleaning. In fact, when I first started in the business, uh, we used it like water. It was in a little pump bottle on the bench, and we cleaned absolutely everything with it. We had it in a pump bottle. <laughs> we had the pump bottle on the bench. It was great. Nothing works like xylene. We I speak about it with with Rob Wood at work every week. It's just like we're sitting there carefully cleaning something. Like get the goddamn xylene. This would come right off. <laughs> it's very effective, but it it might not be effective on everything, and some things it might be too effective. For instance. If you're ever presented with an instrument made by a member of the Becker family, particularly Beckers from like the 50s, mm-hmm. if you try to clean it with xylene, you will strip it. I wonder what it is that's in there because I know like a lot of water sensitive stuff are are glue based or binder based. What is in there that uh, is so sensitive to xylene? I'm I just my interest is piqued by that. I've got no idea. Yeah, I've got no idea. If you know. What- Oh, tell us. Yeah, tell tell us the Becker family secret varnish recipe. So, guys, this is another really fun organ toxicity chemical. Uh, that's that's if it's uh, if you receive repeated exposure to it. Um, it is suspected of con- causing cancer, so it's a nasty one. Uh, cancer. It, uh huh. It can damage your liver and kidneys, and even your inner ears. Uh, so, be careful. Uh, this is my, my favorite song. Oh, do we have a safer alternative? Well, yeah, this is one of my pet peeves. Uh, everybody always asks me, what do you clean with? And it, it drives me nuts. Stop looking for magic bullet violin cleaners. Yeah. Figure out. water. Yeah. Yeah. Figure out what works for what you're cleaning. For instance, if you've got a rental fleet that you need to clean, that's going to be different than if you're working on a fine instrument where dirt matters. Not every bit of dirt is bad. Sometimes dirt can be what gives an instrument its appearance, its luster. And uh, furthermore, the retouching that's on an instrument might react differently than the varnish itself. And so what I tell people to do is always step up from the safest thing to the most aggressive thing and Mm -hmm. in my shop i use everything from water and spit to various uh various solvents mixed with uh restoration soaps there's a whole litany of stuff out there just use what's appropriate for what you have in front of you don't go for the nuclear bomb for everything it's not necessary yeah all right song time chris Xylene, 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 Xylene. Please don't take my vision from me or give me pulmonary edema. Xylene, 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 Xylene. Why you gotta work so well for cleaning, even though I'm having seizures? <laughs> Dolly is so proud right now. I love Dolly. Me too. Hey guys, thanks for listening. This is part one of Chemical Safety. Join us in two weeks. Chris and Jerry and I do some talking through practical ways 
that you can protect yourself. We try on some gloves, we try on some masks, we talk about some chemicals that we use every day. We'll see you soon. OMO is an all Luthier podcast produced by Rosie Deloach, Chris Jacoby, and Jerry Lynn. The show is edited by Jason Peoples, music by Invoke Sound. If you enjoy our show, you can help us out by leaving an iTunes review or becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash omopod, where you can get your very own Omo swag. We'd love to hear from you, so reach out to us at mail at omopod.com or call the Omo phone at 240-686-5345. Thanks for listening. If you use methylated spirits, drink a beer. If you use methylated spirits, drink a beer. That's, that's, you know, remember.